Yesterday morning, I woke. Uh, I didn't wake up. I had a a dream that Bing Crosby was singing. Do you see what I see? How many How many of y'all know that song? Do you see what I see? So. I had a dream right before I woke up that the Lord was singing that over me. And when the Lord, I was, uh, I was like heavy with the presence of the Lord. This has happened maybe two other times in a dream where it feels like it's real. I feel like I'm under the weight of the Lord, like somebody's praying for me and I feel the presence of the Lord in the dream on my body, but it's like it's actually on my body. I don't know how to explain it, but it's, so I just, uh, all I could hear was the Lord singing, do you see what I see? And the glory of the Lord was like, oh man, it was heavy and it was good. And the Lord lately, I feel like what he's been saying to me is, don't try harder, see better. So if you, if you can see what the Lord sees, you'll respond appropriately. You won't have to, you're not trying, because you, it's going to be more out of the heart. It's not going to be a, this thing that you think you should do because you want to be a good Christian. It's because you want to follow Jesus, and you want to see like him. And in Proverbs, it says, the seeing eye and the hearing ear, the Lord is maker of both. And so what I believe that Lord is, that, that proverb is saying is he obviously makes the physical eye and ear, but he, he's the one that gives the eyes to see and the ears to hear. Now in Isaiah 11, what it's, it says about Jesus, it's, it's a prophecy about the root of David or the, the branch of Jesse, the root of David. And it goes into what's called the sevenfold spirit of God. And these the seven spirits of God are mentioned in Revelation, or as lampstands. But in Isaiah 11, it says, the spirit of the Lord, talking about Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the gospel to the poor, release prisoners, for, and on and on. And Isaiah 11 says, first one, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. S secondly, spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the, fear to, and the fear of the Lord. So this is a prophecy about Jesus, him walking in this. Now, you're a co-heir with Jesus Christ, so guess what you get to walk in, the sevenfold spirit of God. Now, Jesus, it says, this is how he saw, and this is how he heard. He said, it says, he doesn't, he doesn't make decisions by what his ears hear or make judgments by what his eyes see, but his delight is in the fear of the Lord. So how did Jesus see and how did Jesus hear? It wasn't with the natural eye. It wasn't with the natural ear. The way he saw and heard was by the fear of the Lord, meaning you take a step back to ask the Father what he's seeing. 
And as you continue to do that, it's going to get, it's going to become more of your nature. So as you do that, as you practice that, as you're like, Father, what are you doing? What are you, what are you saying? What are you seeing? I need, I need to, I need to know because Lord, I don't, and it comes, that's birthed out of a humble heart because you know you don't have anything to offer. Humility is like the virtue that all other virtues are built upon. It's like the, the cornerstone, so to speak, of, of, all the, of all the fruits of the Spirit and, and being able to operate well in the gifts of the Spirit. And so Jesus, being one with the Father and being fully God and fully man, still chose to not see with his eyes, physical eyes and ears, but he chose to let the Father tell him how to see. And so I, that's what I, I feel like is it's not try harder, it's see better. And so we need to ask the Lord, open our eyes, open our ears, help me ask you for wisdom. And because wisdom really is, is asking the one who has wisdom. That's what wisdom is. Recognizing you don't have wisdom and asking the one who has wisdom. Because Solomon in 1 Kings 4, what he asked before he took over the throne, he says, you know, we, some translation says Solomon asked for wisdom and then God gave him uh, riches because he had such a good answer. But really that word for wisdom, it is wisdom, but the, a, little, a more accurate way to translate it would be Solomon said, Lord, give me a listening ear. And, and the Lord was well pleased with that. He said, because you've asked for a listening ear, I'm going to give you what you actually didn't ask for, the riches and prosperity. So, anyways, um, so I wanted to share that, what, um, that dream I had that kind of birthed sermonette number two. And then I also felt like I, I wanted us just to pray um, for uh, the United States and Part of what I wanted to pray about was uh, I came across, uh, I don't, and the reason I want us to pray for other, we pray for other churches, we pray for other nations, we pray for our nation, is because it's just so easy to get belly, focused in on the belly button. And there's lots of Lent in there, and you know, you can stay there and get lost in your belly button. I pull up, uh, never mind, I'm a, I won't gross you up. I got an any, so that's all you need to know. It captures a lot. So anyways, um, so I, I watched a, a video. It was about a, a guy who's a former KGB operative in America. And KGB was a secret service or the, the spy arm of the USSR government. Okay, so what was formerly what Russia, we call Russia Russia now, but it used to be called the USSR, United Soviet Socialist Republic. And so KJB was their um, spy espionage branch and America was an enemy because America represented freedom uh, and not really control 
and and so uh, a lot of the wars of the, the 20th century were Vietnam was around stopping communism, socialism, Cuba, the Cuban Missile Crisis. It was all around these the freedom versus a heavy-handed government. And um, so anyways, this guy was a KGB operative, and, and he was getting questioned, and he said, um, the interviewer was like, what was your priority, like, in, in your espionage? He said, well, num the number one priority wasn't, he said, you know, a lot of people think when we're doing, like, we're stealing documents and all this kind of stuff, the num but the number one priority was the demoralization of America. And so think about that word, demoralization. What happens when you become the word? So I was thinking of demoralization. When I hear the word demoralize, it means you get discouraged, right? But demoralization means the eroding of moral values, like chipping away at the things that uh, were Judeo or Judeo-Christian values in our nation. He said, so if you, he said, that's the number one priority. He said, because if you can make a nation, if you can do, demoralize a nation, then you can control the way they think. And the reason, so then my take on it is that when you demoral, demoralize a nation, take away a moral standard, it lose, you lose conviction. When you lose conviction, you lose strength. Because what are, you, what are you standing for? You don't know. You're over here one day, and then you're over here the next. So if there's not a moral standard, then you don't have any. Then it's, hey, you do your own thing, you do your own thing, until this guy doing his own thing is oppressing me and throwing me in prison. So you have to have, so part of the call of the awakening, Isaiah 62.10, the last part of it says to raise up a standard over the peoples. Now, standard in the Bible was, was a flag. But it's also a play on words for us is to raise up a standard of like, hey, we're going we're gonna to believe in the gospel. We're going to stand for truth. And we're going to love people in the process. You can, you can say no and love people. You can disagree and love people. It's all about the spirit in which you do it in. And so, um, and so I want to pray for, for God just to raise up a standard in our nation, in the, in the body of Christ. Because there is a very intentional plot of the devil to, he wants to ruin all nations. So he wants to ruin the United States. There's not, a, there's not a, na a nation in the world that doesn't have corruption on some level. That's why we long for the king of kings to come. The spirit and the bride say come because the, the earth is, all of creation is groaning for like the revealing of the sons of God, for, for righteousness. Like, is there anybody that cares about like justice and, and truly for, and, and righteousness who's not going to like exploit the position of power for their own gain? Well, that's Jesus who, who, who rules that way. Now, think about the way God governs us as our king. What does he do? Is he, is he uh, uh, constantly making you do something? Is he, Matt, will you stand up for me? He's like, Matt, come over here. Come on, over here. He, no, he's not doing that. He's saying, Matt, there's two paths over here. There's my way or the other way. 
which way you want to go. And then Matt goes on to hit whichever path he chooses on. Thank you, Matt. And and then he's just like, okay, he lays out, just like in Deuteronomy 28, he's like, this is what happens when you follow me. This is what happens when you don't. You you choose. You get to choose. So he's, the free, the, the government of God is freedom. It's for freedom that Christ came to set us free. But he, he not only allows us freedom of choice, but he came to set you free from the things that we're slaves to, sin, the, the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. So let's pray. Lord, we pray that you raise up a standard in this nation, God, a standard in the body of Christ, first and foremost. Lord, you said in your word that judgment begins with the house of God. And so I pray that you would judge our actions in the way we're doing things in the sense of show us, separate the wheat from the chaff, God. Separate the things that are of your kingdom that are not of your kingdom so that we can truly be sons and daughters of God, that, re- that all of creation is groaning for and longing for the revealing of the sons of God, the children of God. Lord, we pray that you would uh, install government leaders that have these same values, Father. We bless our, our local government here in Athens, Georgia. We bless them, Lord, to, first of all, to know you, Jesus, to know you, because that's where it all comes from. We bless our state leaders, Lord. We bless them to know you, Jesus, intimately and to follow you and to do what's right in your eyes. We bless our, gov- our national leaders, Father. We bless Congress. We bless our president. We bless the cabinet and everybody else. We bless them, Father, to do what's right in your eyes. So, Lord, we give our nation to you, and Lord, we, rep- we repent on behalf of the body of Christ for the way that we have um, we've eaten of the news and not eaten of your word. I pray that we become eaters of your word, Lord, that, that we would find your word and we would eat it and it would become the joy and delight of our heart. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Amen. So, uh, last week I started a little um, series on Advent. All Advent means is is arrival. And one of the cool things about Christmas is Christmas is actually the first promise God ever gave us. In Genesis chapter three, verse fifteen, Adam and Eve had just sinned. God finds out. He he asked them the question. He knew what happened. I was love the Lord because he, he's like, where are you? <laughs> he knows where they are, but God loves relationship, so he invites us into the relationship, even in the midst of that, you know what I'm saying? If I were, I mean, Travis, fleshly dad Travis would be like, I saw what you did. Why'd you do that? The Lord's like, where are you? Where are you? What did you do? Inviting them in that they, for their own self-discovery. <laughs> Instead of me telling you what, what, what I discovered, I'm, you can discover for yourself. And that's always the best way to learn, right? And so the Lord, he's, he's in that place. They confess to what they did, blaming the other person. And then the Lord lays out the consequences of their sin. And then he says, 
And he talks about this. He curses the serpent. And he says, I'm, you're going to be cursed. You're going to crawl on your belly all the days of your life. Now, part of the symbolism of that, of a serpent crawling on their belly, so dust represented bitterness. And so when you're crawling on your belly and you're a snake, what do you eat a lot of? Dust. The devil lives off bitterness. And, and so he said, you're going to crawl on your belly in the dust, and, the, and you're going to bite the woman's heel, but her, um, her heel is going to crush, crush her head. The offspring, let me back up, her offspring is going to crush your head. So it talks about a striking and a bruising, but like a fatal blow for the devil. That's the first promise right after the fall, and it's talking about Jesus coming. Jesus is going to come, and he's going to deal you a death blow, is what the Father is saying to the devil right now. And so it's the first promise in the Bible, which I've, I think is really cool. Um, and so we got lots of scriptures about the coming of the Messiah. So Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, riding in on a donkey was not the most um, intimidating thing in the world. Man, a donkey is not very big, actually. Now, I... I used to think of donkeys as mules, and mules can get big, but the, the donkeys are they're short, they're ornery, cranky, don't always do what you want them to. And so here's Jesus riding on this non-glorious, burden-bearing beast. That's, how he, that's his first arrival into Jerusalem. What's his second arrival going to look like? says he's going to be coming in on a white horse. Now, nothing's quite as glorious <laughs> as a white steed. And he's going to have on his head many crowns. He's going to be dressed in a robe, dipped in blood. A sword's going to be coming out of his mouth. And it says, and Jesus has a tattoo. It's on his thigh. It says, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It says, on his robe and on his thigh, this name is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So Jesus came into the world as the Lamb of God, and he's returning as the Lion. But there's, they're not separated. They're one and the same. So when you, so when you humble yourself, when you're in the natural, when you're, like a, when you're like a lamb and you humble yourself, what does that look like in the spirit? It looks like a lion because you're totally going against the ways of the world. You're making war on the ways of the world. When you follow Jesus' lead and you humble yourself, that's just the way God works. To be a lion, 
become a lamb first. The lamb is first, the lion is second. And so here he is. He's coming mounted on the foal of a donkey, again, humbling himself, choosing a way to humble himself as he enters into Jerusalem. Now, it says that he's bringing righteousness in Zechariah. He's righteous in having salvation. So if he's bringing righteousness with him, it means that in the earth there is no righteousness or else we wouldn't need it. And so Romans chapter 3 says, As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Now this is a profound sentence here. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their, their feet are swift to shed blood, and in their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And so this passage describes the sin nature in all of mankind. And when we read this, this is really a description of us, everybody. You, some, we all meet at least one or more of these criteria in here. And then, and so when we read this, we should be, this should like give us thanks. Our hearts should be like, thank you, God, for saving me like drawing me to you. Like, you. like God gave you the ability to choose him. Did you know that? Because no one seeks after God, right? So he even gave you grace to hunger for him, to long for him. He, and it says, and Paul says we've been chosen, we've been predestined. Now people say, well, Travis, are you a Calvinist? And... Um, are you Arminian? I was like, um, it's not either or, it's both and more. God chose me and I had to choose him. I don't know how it works. I don't need to know. I don't want to be, para I don't want to have paralysis about an with analysis. I want to be trusting what God's word says and then like going out and making war. And so we make war, though, not the ways of this world, by going in as a lamb, by going in as a lamb. This doesn't mean you let people get to stomp on you. Jesus told people no. He turned up tables. But he saw rightly. He knew the woman caught in adultery he knew why she was in that place. Everybody acts the way they do for a reason. Right? So Jesus understood, hey, maybe this woman was wounded. Maybe she was abused, whatever the case may be. So she started making wrong decisions out of that wounded place. Destructive decisions. 
Jesus knows all that. And so that's why he says, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more because you're destroying your life right now. <laughs> but you, here, there's mercy, but I'm not going to I'm not going to throw a stone at you. I'm going to offer healing. So Jesus is here with a remnant. He doesn't say, you know what? You're forgiven. Just keep destroying yourself. That's not God's heart. He doesn't want you doing that. He wants you to be healed and whole. So that's why Jesus said, go and sin no more. Because, and I believe in that moment. Because what, what Jesus does in that moment, and then also the woman with the, the, the bleeding, the woman that had the, uh, the menstrual bleeding, that, that, wouldn't, that didn't stop for 12 years or so. One of the things that happened in that moment that's in between the lines is everybody's watching this happen. Everybody's watching this adulterous woman, Jesus, interact with her. And they see Jesus say, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. And what that does, it's not only heals that woman's heart, she's experiencing the love and grace of God, but what happens is he restores her to the whole community. The woman caught touching the hem of his garment who had the, the case of bleeding. Now, a woman who bled menstrual blood in, in Leviticus is unclean. You, got, you have a period of eight days to be separated during that time before you could come back into community and, and touch people again. And so here's this woman still under the old covenant. Jesus hasn't died yet. And she's like, if, I know I'm not supposed to touch this man, but he can heal me. And so she comes up, she touches, she goes through the crowd. Now, one of the things is she knows that as she's going through the crowd, people are saying this, unclean, unclean, because that's what they did. They called it out. They was like, unclean, unclean, don't touch, don't touch. So she's going through the crowd. She's trying to get to Jesus, and there's unclean, unclean, look, unclean. And she's, you know, full of shame, going, but she just keeps walking to Jesus. And she's, I just see her just like, this is, this is the only hope I have. And she touches the hem of his garment, and Jesus said, felt power leave him. And he said, who touched me? And the disciples were like, there's a huge crowd. What do you mean, who touched you? He says, no, power left me. Who touched me? And he, he called out the woman. So everybody's, there's a huge crowd, and it's just everybody's watching him interact with this woman. And he said, he commended her for her faith. He didn't say, why did you defile all these people as you were coming to me? He said, your faith made you well, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. I'm going off memory now. And her hemorrhaging stopped. And Jesus calls her clean in the whole community. And so guess what? He restores her relationship to the community. He, re he restores her status in the community. He's like, this woman is now clean. I want everybody to know that. So he not only heals her heart, he heals the next <laughs> sphere of relationship in this woman's life. That's the way Jesus works. He just totally, he's like, listen, I'm not going to just heal your hemorrhage. I'm going to break shame off of you.
And so when we come with that humble heart of like, Lord, I, I don't have anything to offer you, and you already know that, but you love me. I'm dark yet lovely is what Song of Songs chapter 1 says. It says, the king finds me dark but lovely. Dark meaning like I, I'm sinful. I've got, I've got issues. I've got problems. I'm still lovely to him. How is that? It's because he's God. <laughs> it's not about you. It's about who he is. You know, and we've heard this, we've probably heard this phrase there, but for the grace of God go I. And this is a great attitude to have to keep you from judging people. That doesn't mean you're like, oh, somebody's wanting to do some dastardly deed, and you're like, no, I can't judge them. And that, please hear me, what I'm saying is you, you can even look at uh, Ted Bundy. Mass murderer, a psychopath. So he got there somehow. Ted Bundy behaved that way for a reason. Now he made horrible, evil choices out of that wounded place. That's why sometimes I watch those little documentaries on those guys because I'm like, what? Why did the? How did they get here? That's why it is interesting to people. And then you find out. Oh, you weren't hugged very much. You were left in a crib. All these things that we take for granted, basic human touch, basic love, basic trust, all those things. But it doesn't excuse what he did by any means. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now this, uh, verse 7, this is a great prayer to pray when you think, uh, Things are getting out of control. <laughs> You're like, Lord, what's going on in my nation? Lord, what's going on in this nation? What's going on in my house? And then you fall on Isaiah 9, chapter 7. It says, Lord, I declare your government is increasing in my house today. Lord, your peace is increasing in my house. It says there's every day, and Colossians 1 says the gospel increases every day. The kingdom of God is increasing, increasing, increasing. The peace of God is increasing in the earth, despite what anybody wants to tell you. And of the increase of his government and on the peace, and guess what? So Jesus, the culmination is when Jesus returns, and then does it stop there? No. Because God's eternal, right? So it means his goodness, his mercy, his glory, all of his attributes are eternal. It means they don't stop. You keep discovering more and more and more. So we're not going to get bored in heaven. Let me just tell you that. I'm going to look at Phil on day quadrillion and 101. I'm like, did you see what God did yesterday? Blowing my mind, man. 
And God's just going to keep saying there's more where that comes from. There's more where that came from. His, the increase of his government and of peace, that's the government that God brings. Peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peacekeepers and peacemakers are two different things, though. Peacekeepers don't like confrontation. Peacemakers don't mind confrontation. Because you have to confront what you have to overcome. There is no overcoming without confronting. Peacekeeping is apathy. And we just love everybody. Can we just love each other? I mean, I, I would love that. But we got to deal with <laughs> the issues. I don't like, I don't like uh, me and Jessica being in disagreement. Now, what, this is a total side note. Don't talk about important things after 10 p.m. You're tired. You can wait. I know it says don't let the sun go down on your anger. I think what that means is keep it in the light. Don't forget about it. Don't sweep it under the rug. Doesn't mean like, honey, sunrise is at 526. We've got to talk about this. And then you're like, I mean, I've fallen asleep during uh, disagreements with Jessica in the bed. Don't want to do that. She's falling asleep on me. We finally, after 17 years, we're like, hey, let's talk about this in the morning. I think we're too tired. And then we're so much more sane. My word. I've, there's been times when the kids were little and they're waking up in the middle of the night. And I'm like, Holy Spirit, I feel like I have zero of your ability right now. I'm totally in my flesh. I said, you're not, you don't go to sleep either, do you? And anyway, you know, I'm joking around with the Holy Spirit. But when you're tired, you just, gotta, you just need to rest, okay? But So it calls him the Prince of Peace. So this word prince is uh, Hebrew word sar. That's Travis' enunciation. And, but it's formed from two Hebrew roots, a verb meaning to wrestle or to fight, and another verb meaning to rule or to govern as royalty. So when you combine this, the word sar is basically saying warring prince. So it says the warring prince of peace. The peace is this word shalom, which means prosperity, wholeness, completeness, and success. Shalom basically means heaven on earth. So whenever you say shalom you're to somebody, that's when, when the uh, Jews, Hebrews, Israelites greet each other. Shalom. They're saying, may heaven come upon you on earth. You know, that's basically what they're saying. And so it's, it says that he is the warring prince of shalom. So Jesus makes war for heaven to come to earth. Now, he made war on the cross. He made war in his resurrection. But he makes war for, for heaven to come to earth in your life, corporately, in a nation. He is the warring prince of peace. Now, isn't that an oxymoron? The warring prince of peace? 
Well, God's ways are up. It's an upside-down kingdom. To be a lion, you got to be a lamb first. To make war, you got to be full of peace. Romans 16.20 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Remember what Genesis chapter 3 says? Jesus will crush the devil's head with his heel. And it's because he's the prince of peace. So if Jesus is the prince of peace and he's making war with the devil, what is the devil the prince of? Chaos, confusion, bitterness, strife, jealousy. And James, it tells you how to, it lays it out what the wisdom of the devil looks like. I'm going to go there. James chapter 4. got my tiny Bible with me, so I'm turning lots of pages too fast. Anybody, has anybody beat me to it yet? Is it in James 5 or it's somewhere else? I know, I kind of, I can paraphrase it. Here we go. Where's that? Point it to me on this. Which one? Three? Chapter three? Okay. So, verse 13, James chapter three. Thank you, Janice. It says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. The wisdom, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So, that, so that's the wisdom of the devil. Selfish ambition, bitter jealousy, arrogance, lying. This God, he makes it really easy for us to identify. Now, this word, it says the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. This, this is the word, not quinoa, not, not the, the, uh, the food, but kina. And it means ardor, intense devotion. It means the jealous disposition of a husband. So imagine a wife has been kidnapped and her husband's looking for her. And so the, the husband's looking all over. He is, this is, he's consumed with it. This, all he's doing is trying to find his wife. Say so he looks for her for two years, and he finally finds his wife. And he's like, honey. And he's, he's found it where she's been held captive. The captors are gone. He's like, honey, come on, let's go. And she's like, 
No, I think I'm good here. That's, told, that's called Stockholm Syndrome. It's where you start having empathy and alliance with your captors. And this is basically what Jesus has to deal with. Because we, we start making our home with the enemy. Not necessarily on purpose. But when you say no to Jesus, you do say yes to the enemy. It's just the way it works. There's no neutral ground. Remember it says right here, this wisdom, it says it's natural, demonic. So to choose not, to, not choose the ways of Jesus means you're coming into alliance with the enemy. There's just two kingdoms here. There's no neutral ground, I'm telling you. There's no neutral ground. There's no riding the fence. There's no, I'm not hurting anybody. You're either for him or you're against him. That's what he says. So, if you're not for him, you're against him, no matter how noble you think your intentions are. And so, and I'm, I'm not saying there's people purposely, I mean, I have friends that are not believers, and they're just kind of like, they're, they're playing, they play the neutral game. But guess what? They, they support things that are not of the kingdom. They're like, let people choose, let them do their own thing. And then they support things like abortion, which is taking the choice of a way of a child to live. So guess what? You can't say that. You can't say that let everybody do their own thing because this child is not having a choice right now. It just doesn't work, I'm telling you. And so Luke chapter 1 says he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, we won't be like Mary. We don't worship Mary, but we won't be like her. We are favored ones just like what God proclaimed over her. And this word favor is the word for charis. It can also, it's the same word that's used for grace. So grace, my definition of grace is not uh, unmerited favor. My definition of grace is God's ability. To me, uh, to me like unmerited favor or, or is, like, is more along the lines of mercy. Like I'm getting... Mercy is like, I get something I don't deserve. Grace is God just being like, hey, I'm going to, my favor and my ability is going to be upon you. And I'm, anyways, doesn't matter. But favored one, we have God's favor and grace has already been given to us simply because God chose us as he did Mary. He tells Mary, do not be afraid. And the reason we're not afraid is because we have God's favor. We have his grace. We have nothing to fear. God supports us. He's behind us. There was, you know, um, when we truly can see, like I was talking about earlier, 
that God is with us, you won't be afraid. That's why it's not like, it's not trying harder, it's believing better. <laughs> it's seeing better. And you can only, and, and so God will open up our spiritual eyes to see that we may believe. And so we have to have that revelation. We have to have that understanding. God's with me. I mean, if any one of us, if Jesus appeared in his, all of his glory and he took your hand and said, let's go walk the streets of Athens and share the gospel, you'd be like, let's go. <laughs> and everybody would be like, who's that with you? Jesus. You want to get on his side, man? And so, you, you know, you're sharing. The, it's like demons are fleeing before you. You know, like they see Jesus. Like, Let's get out of here. And But that's actually the reality. You just can't see it. And we get, we actually get a, a version of Jesus that the disciples didn't have. We get the, the full Monty. I don't know if that's appropriate. I can't remember what. But we get, the, like, we get the Holy Spirit full of grace and power. Where Here's Peter. He, now, Peter never walked by anybody and I got healed in his shadow when he was with Jesus. I'm not, so hear me, I'm not discounting being with Jesus in human form. What I'm saying is you've been empowered. You've been empowered. I've been empowered. And the only thing that's holding any, any of that power back is what we see. And so she asked the question, how will this happen since I'm a virgin? The most high will overshadow you. Let it be according to your word. So Mary's heart of submission was the key in God using her to usher in the Savior of the world. It's the same for us. That's the key for us, a heart of submission. She had no assurance of a comfortable outcome. She was a virgin engaged to be married. So she likely knew how difficult giving birth to and raising Jesus would be. The only assurance Mary received was God's word, and it was enough for her to say yes. So the angel was like, hey, you've got the Son of God um, in, your, in your womb right now? It's, you're gonna be, it's going to be easy street. They actually faced quite op <laughs> heavy opposition. There was an edict that said, kill every firstborn child. Then they had to go to Egypt, which was a uh, mortal enemy of, of Jews. <laughs> so you go flee in the enemy's country. And... And so in 1 Peter 1, the, the, Peter, the Apostle Peter says that through trials we face, the genuineness of our faith is revealed. God frequently asks for our trust through difficult, uncomfortable, and seemingly impossible circumstances. But how often do we respond like Mary? So Mary, she, she could not. She, there's no way she could have understood everything that was going to entail saying yes to, Jesus, to the Lord in that moment. She wouldn't have known Herod was going to release an order to kill the firstborn. She, wouldn't, she didn't know she had to flee to Egypt. And then you had Joseph, Joseph's obedience to take the shame 
of, hey, every, this is what everybody believed about Joseph and Mary, and they're looking at Joseph like, your fiance is pregnant with another man's baby, and you're keeping her around? And he had to endure misunderstanding. How many of y'all like being misunderstood? Right, no, no hands. And so Joseph and Mary bore shame. Not that it was theirs, but they bore shame. They bore ridicule. They bore misunderstanding to usher in Jesus. Now, there's going to be times where you, when you usher in Jesus to somebody, they're not going to understand, and maybe they try to put shame on you. It doesn't mean you have shame. You say, shame off me. And so, but people try to put shame on you, and they try to put embarrassment, and you reject those things. That's what Jesus did. He says he endured the cross, despising what? The shame. And so, I would, before church, there was an Asian man walking the fields, and the Lord said, you know, go share the gospel with him. And um, I went up there. He didn't understand a lick of English. And then I had the Jesus at the door card, and I said, I got it on the, uh, the Chinese version. I said, do you understand this? He's like, no. I was like, Christian. He's like, Christian. You know, he didn't understand one thing. And so he, he thought I was trying to get him off the fields. I was like, you can walk as much as you want, you know. And so walked away, this guy, like, like nothing really happening according to what I saw. But what I have to live for is obeying the, obeying the Lord. It says, man doesn't live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So who knows what that did for me in the spirit? It's not the outcome. It's, just, it's like, is Jesus my reward? I'm like, Jesus is like, hey, I want to go over to the, I'm walking to the intramural fields over here. Are you coming? Yes, Lord. I want to be in your presence. <laughs> so I'm coming. And then things work out that you, didn't, you don't understand. Mary, Joseph, didn't understand how these things were going to work out. They didn't understand that. Oh, They're like, we're chosen by God to carry the Messiah. And then they're like, hey, get out of here. We hate you. You're an embarrassment. Wait, I'm carrying the Messiah. They didn't say that. Do you understand what I'm saying? The world's not going to understand. It's never going to understand. So we, don't, we just got to like settle that in our hearts. They're not going to understand until God opens their eyes to. Then Mary, he, she sings a song to the Lord called the Magnificent, which is Latin for magnification. And she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, and for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. She's getting a revelation of God right here. She's like, God doesn't choose the wise things of the world. She, he chooses the lowly and the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. 
He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. That's a beautiful song. So Mary glorified God for his willingness to use someone humble to carry out his great purpose. And she praised him for his mercy, faithfulness, and power in in fulfilling his promise of a savior. She said, from now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Did Mary, I wonder how much of that promise she saw in her lifetime of generations calling her blessed. But she just knew. She, she had a knowing in her heart. And so this is a strong statement of trust in God because the task assigned to her, like I said, would likely bring judgment and shame from almost everyone she knew. So who was going to believe Mary was a virgin? Her, her own fiancé needed the reassurance of an angel to believe her story. And, so two, and even 2,000 years later, many claim her, question her claim of virginity. But Mary chose to trust God rather than resist her calling, even if it meant a lifetime of being misunderstood. So whatever God has asked you to do, don't let any potential persecution or judgment of others keep you from obedience. We aren't called to be comfortable, accepted, or understood. We're called to make a difference. So let's stand up. One of the ways that we carry God is to be virgin of heart. And even, I want to give you encouragement right now. This is, like I said, a little off to the right here. But being, the Lord can make you feel like a virgin again, even sexually. I, when I walked down the aisle with Jessica, I had had a, Sexual relationships with girlfriends that had been in sin, sexual sin, masturbation, pornography, all that kind of stuff. But when I, get, I gave my life to the Lord and I committed to follow his ways, grace came upon me to leave all those things behind. And so Jessica and I were able to not even go near any of that stuff. We, we, during our engagement, we, we held hands. That was it. And I walked down that aisle feeling totally clean. I felt like a virgin walking down that aisle. And he can do the exact, that's the way God makes all things new. And so if you have been in that place where you're like, you know what, I, I made a mistake. Like, I messed up. And I gave myself to somebody and it wasn't a good idea. God can clean you. And all, all you have to do is just come to him. He's the one that makes you. We don't run, don't run from him. Come to him and surrender your heart to him. He will, he will clean you. He will cover you in his blood. He makes all things new. And then he says he won't even remember it. So when he writes your story in heaven, it's not like, yeah, Travis, 
had some bad years in college. But he turned it around. No, always. Hebrews 11, what does it say about Sarah? It says, she believed God. It doesn't say anything about her laughing at him. David, what would I tell you about Samson? I don't have time to tell you about Samson. And the exploits he did. Samson, you want to talk about sexual immorality. But Samson, in his last days, what did he do? He gave his heart to the Lord, and the Lord used him. And he's remembered for that surrender. He's not remembered for his falls. So the Lord just has a different way of looking at history. Because it's, once it's covered in the blood, he can't see it anymore. It says he cast our sins from the east into the west. He hurls them into the depths of the sea. He treads them underfoot. So I encourage you to give your heart to the Lord. And if that's not you that I'm talking about, I just encourage you to pray, God, make me virgin of heart. The pure in heart shall see God. I want to carry you. I want to carry your presence like Mary did. I want to be a carrier of your presence. So if our, if our worship team will come up and our ministry team will come over here to the side, we're going to worship in one more song, and I invite you to surrender your heart to God. To surrender to him. Like, God, I, I need you to touch me. I need you to stop my bleeding, so to speak, like the woman with the hemorrhage. I need you to stop the bleeding. And he'll do it. I need you to make me clean again. He'll do it. I need you to make, I need you to make me virgin of heart. He will do it. If you need physical healing... We'd love to pray for you because God, he's interested in healing the whole man, the whole person. He wants to heal your body as well as your heart. So let's worship. And I invite you to, to come and receive, let the Lord minister to you.